You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. Turn in your copy of God's Word or devices to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1 or page 1092 in the Pew Bibles that are in front of you. 1092. Today, our children, kindergarten through fifth grade, will stay right where you are. You're not going anywhere. And so we're okay with that. We're glad about that. We love hearing children uh, be excited about Jesus. That's a good thing. And so uh, as we welcome them into our service, uh, we are thankful for that. This morning, as we continue, we are really coming down as we have read through the Bible together in 2018. What a great journey. What a great time together. What a great encouragement we've had of seeing all of God's revelation, all of his story, all of his plans put together, read through. We've been encouraged and nourished and challenged and corrected. And here we are in the end. There's not anything after revelation. And if we add anything, the Bible says that we are to be blaspheme, blaspheme, right? We know that we are uh, against that. So we know that this is all of God's word. And here in revelation, what we know is the story of the end. And as we look at this, I want us to see today that all that we have, all in following Jesus, everything that we do, Christ is worth it. So let's begin by reading together and Revelation 5, and we're going to read the chapter together. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, is able to open the scroll or even look at it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look in it. The one of the elders found, uh, said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless, thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let us pray. God, as we read your word today, may we be lifted up. May we see a glimpse of you, see you high and lifted up, that it is worth it all to give you our lives, to call you our king, to follow you, Jesus. You are worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I just wanted to give you a public service announcement. It's 367 days till Christmas in 2019. Now, all right, I've got to watch because I was afraid somebody might throw a shoe at me right there. Uh, you hear or say anything about that, and it, it induces emotions both from the good and from the bad. There is a confusion, and there is, there is happiness. There is all sorts of things that you will feel. Very much like when we start to talk about the end of the world. There's confusion, there's excitement, there, is, there are things that we as Christians like to talk about, but there are things that we don't know. I remember being confused all throughout my life. It, it was funny, just actually a couple years ago, I came home and I walked in the house. I thought Sarah and Franklin was there and I walked in and I, I opened the door to the garage and I, I took three steps and I looked. There was this perfectly placed pile of clothes. I mean, the shoes, everything was just like, like right there. I was like, hello? Hello? And so I went all the way upstairs, and again, another perfectly set pile of clothes was sitting there. I really at that thought the rapture had happened, and I, was, I just missed out. It turned out that Franklin had gotten something all over him, that it, it was a mess. And so the first stop was taking his off. And then as she got him cleaned up, she had taken hers off. And they, they were upstairs and couldn't hear me yelling. But also, I mean, you think about your life. How many times have you heard uh, of some bad uh, a bad pred prediction of the end times. I mean, just in this decade, we've had people do websites and books and stuff that the end was already happened. There's been great confusion, but the Bible tells us that we as Christians need to know the end because the victory that comes in knowing Jesus. We need to know the end because it's important. And here we see that it was so important that God gave John a special revelation that he transported him to heaven to see exactly how the end was going to happen. John was serving out a prison sentence for following Jesus on the island of Patmos, a, an island that was about six miles by 12 miles just off uh, the coast of modern-day Turkey. It was a work island. And as he was suffering there, as he was working off his time there, 
God showed him a revelation of the end. This is important not just because we want to know what it looks like, but it also is important because it's an important doctrine for us to know. Do you know that the first coming of Christ was mentioned 129 times in the Bible? Yet the second coming of Christ has been mentioned 329 times, almost two and a half times that the first coming. But here we have a celebration. We have a celebration of his first coming. Yet the Bible shows intense significance to his coming again. As we celebrate the advent of his first coming, we also look now to the advent of his second coming. Amen? And we know that the revelation that John came was an unveiling. That's what the word means, revelation in the Greek. What was Jesus unveiling? Was he unveiling the world? Was he unveiling himself? Well, I would say both. The most important thing that we see as we think as Christians is not of who the Antichrist is and when the time will be coming the most important and central message of Revelation is to point us to Jesus, the one who will redeem and restore the earth and believers to God. And it is in this hope and victory that we see Jesus is the center of all things, of all of history, of all of time, and all of our hope. Everything rises and falls on Jesus. And as we think about this, and as we consider his second coming, we need to understand that it is through creation, salvation, eternity, it's all about Jesus. And as we read together Revelation chapter 5, I want us to see that following Jesus is worth it because he is the center of it all. How do we see this? Well, number one, there is no one worthy. There is no one else worthy. There is no one worthy. When we read and open this chapter, we, we are, are highlighted knowing in chapter 4 that, that we, John has seen the throne room, that, that we are in Grand Central Station. We are in mission control of all of eternity. And here we see this picture of God on his throne, the wonderful angels and creatures and, and saints all gathered around saying how holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And yet here we are introduced to the scroll in his right hand. In verse 5, verse 1, it says, I saw the right hand, the one seated on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look at it. I wept and wept because no one was able to, Excuse me, no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look at it. How will the end occur? Well, John sees this as this uh, mighty throne room of heaven, surrounded by the image of the spirit of his creation, the elders. God himself holds a scroll in his right hand. And there's a clarion call by an angel that says, who can take and open the scroll? Well, the scroll has been argued and battered about through many generations and many people smarter than I. That says that the scroll is the entire of God's history and eternity. It is God, his plan for redeeming and restoring the world. 
It is those, this plan to both judging the wicked and redeeming his people. This scroll written on both sides are showing the entirety of God's story and God's will. The question is, who can make it happen? Who can make it happen? And this call is made out to all the world, it says, on, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And it is found that no one is able to open it, let alone even look at it. So what do we know here after reading the Bible all of this time? Well, no one can open the scroll. Not, no one's been good enough. No one is powerful enough. No one is worthy enough. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Moses, not Joshua, not Elisha or Elijah, not Peter, not Paul. And we think of on the earth, not Einstein or physicists, not Darwin or philosophers. And the reality is that we read this, not even you, not even me. We find our helplessness when it comes to the end of our life. And the judgment of our hearts, the judgment of our lives, that there is nothing, that none of us can control our own eternity. With sin, we have been separated from God. We are powerless to change the end. We are powerless to control what's coming. And here we find John weeping. He says, I wept and I wept. The original Greek said is, this is an uncontrollable sob. You have to know where John is at this moment as he is, as he is finishing up his prison sentence. He has watched all the other apostles be martyred for believing in Jesus. He sees great persecution happening in the church at the hands of Nero who is, whiting, uh, who is dipping Christians in wax and lighting them for his parties at night. The Christians on earth are under severe persecution. And John is thinking, who can I have hope in? What is there for me to keep going in? What do I have? What can I endure? Why should I continue on? If no one can open the scroll, if no one can bring about the hope of the world, then what can I do? All of us maybe even be at that point. We can empathize with John. We look at a friend who is dying of cancer and say, how can we go on? How can we answer the grieving nature of this? We see the wars on the news. We see our Christian brothers and sisters persecuted in other lands, being beheaded and tortured, and, and, and it, is, it is reviling to us. How can we have hope? If there is no God that rights wrongs or restores his original creation, what is the point? See, the book of Revelation is about retaliation, redemption, and restoration. About God bringing about his perfect design, his perfect plan. Bringing things that have gone wrong, bringing them back to his plan. If there is no one, if there is no hope, then what can we do? The good news of Christmas and the good news of Revelation is this, that Christ the Messiah is our hope. Because number two, only Jesus, the Lamb of God, is worthy. We read in verse five through seven, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root 
of David has conquered, so he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand and the one seated on the throne. It is as if God saw and knew what John was feeling as he uncontrollably sobbed. And one of the elders, one of the saints came to John and said, There, there, Baal, look up. Hope is here. The Messiah has come. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the great priest, the root of David, the great king, the one who has conquered, the one who is fulfilling all life, who can bring the end of the world. He is here. And John looks up excitedly. And yet he sees one who looked like a lamb who was slaughtered. How do we reconcile this? I mean, wouldn't you want to see He-Man or, or someone who's strong and mighty to bring about the end of the world? I know I'm dating myself with that He-Man reference. Someone who is strong and mighty. I'd even say Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's not strong and mighty anymore. Who would you want to be standing there? Someone strong and mighty. But instead, he looks up and he sees one like he's been slaughtered. One as if he's been defeated. And instead of John feeling defeat, instead, he feels joy. Why does John look and see with hope someone who looks as though he's already defeated? Because it is this Jesus, this Messiah, the Lamb of God, who is the only one worthy. The Lamb is a sign throughout all the Bible we have read of the one who has given of himself, who has died for his people, who has paid the penalty of sins for, for all of us. The one who is worthy, perfect obedience, perfect living, the Son of God who has come, who is the only one worthy to bring about victory. It is this lamb, this sign used throughout the Bible for sacrifice, knowing that we would be forgiveness from God. In Genesis 22, 8, Abraham and Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb. In Exodus 12, in the Passover, your lamb shall be without blemish. In John uh, blemish, excuse me. John 1, 29, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but none more clearly than Isaiah chapter 53, when the, when the prophet sees the one, the lamb who was slain for us, it is written, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. But he was a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. What can be taken out of the right hand of God, the scroll of his will, the, the scroll of all history, the scroll of salvation, who can do this? The one who was crushed for our iniquity. Roman uh, chapter 5 of Revelation has revealed the central truth of this book 
That the sacrificial death of the Lamb has taken control of the course of history and guaranteed its future. He alone is worthy to break the seals and even to look at it. The hosts of heaven break out in jubilation because of the redemptive work of the Lion who has become the Lamb. And this vision of grandeur, the Lamb prepares John to see its readers the more solemn aspects of the judgments that are to come. A vivid portrayal of the one who has won the crucial battle for sin supplies confidence for the troubled times so that we will have hope. We know that we have nothing to place our trust in. Not the stock market, not our relationships, not our jobs, not our talent. Not our good works. There is nothing that we can trust in and have faith in in troubled times, in, in, in times of, of, of suffering, and times of tribulation. But we know this, that when we suffer, when we're under trial, when we're suffering, we know that Jesus, the Lamb, stands before us in victory. He gives us hope, and he, we know because of him we have a heavenly home. And it is this we know and we celebrate this Christmas that God stepped out of heaven, that he came to earth, that he obediently went to the cross, and now he stands at the right hand of the Father, ready to bring about God's good plan for us us. We are reminded of this, this poem that someone wrote that I, that I think puts into help us understand. Mary had a little lamb. His soul was white as snow. And anywhere his father sent, the lamb was sure to go. He came to earth to die one day, the sin of man to atone. And now he reigns in heaven above. He's the lamb upon the throne. Amen? We are thankful that the Lamb is worthy, that He is the one to forgive our sins and to bring about God's restoration for our lives. And this helps us to know this. Number three, Jesus is worth it all. Jesus is worth it all. If we follow on the, the passage here, we see that when he took the, the scroll that all the saints and elders sang a new song in verse uh, 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and nation and people, uh, and excuse me, from every tribe and language and people and nation and make them a kingdom and priests to our God. And then we see the angels around the throne. They join in and they say, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive powers and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth says blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one on the throne to the lamb forever and ever this comes to pass exactly what is said and written in Philippians chapter 2 that we read just a few weeks ago. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If we know that Jesus is worth it all, that Jesus is the lamb on the throne, that Jesus is the one to bring about the culmination of all things, then he following him is worth it. So what, how should we respond? We should worship him. 
that we should prostrate ourselves in adoration of our king. Worship comes from the old English words that combines worth and ship, meaning that everyone should ascribe what is worth God. How much is he worth? All of it, all of our lives, all of our history, everything that we think and plan and think that we might do, we put it all aside and say, Jesus, what can we do to bring you glory? How can I bring you glory and honor in my life, in my family, in my workplace? We should worship him at work and at home. And and here we should shout, sing, and clap and dance. Some should sit in silence. Some of us should cry and lift our hands, receive the word. But we should live the word as we ascribe honor and worship to him. Are you doing something to magnify the name of Jesus? Even if it costs you your reputation, even if it's hard, even if it's giving up your plans that you've always had, it is worth it. You should also love him. If Jesus is worth it all, you should love him more than you would a spouse. Pursue him, love him, adore him. Ask God to give a holy desire for more of him. Let your passion be overwhelmed for him and let it spill out on everything that you have. That your passion is, yes, for your family, but it's for God for your family. That it's for your work, but it's for God for your work. For your friends, it's for God for your friends. It is loving others into the glory of God, that the love of God would overflow your lives and be viewed all over the world and how you pursue other things. And you should trust him. You should trust this one who is worthy. Maybe today you need to trust him for salvation. If there's only one who is worthy, worthy to control eternity, worthy of your life, there's only one God. Did you notice it wasn't Buddha or Muhammad or any other religious leader that could come and open the scroll? There is only one who has given his life for his people to pay a ransom for his children. It is Jesus. And maybe you've come today thinking that your life isn't worthy or that you've messed up, that there's no way that you can be brought back to a good standing to God. Well, listen to the sounds of the angels who weren't even redeemed by him. That all honor and glory and blessing comes to him, the lamb slaughtered for our sins. He died for you. He died for you. Trust him today for salvation. Trust him as the gift of hope for your life. You can't control your eternity, but Jesus in you can. And you can be saved today. But maybe you need to trust Jesus. Maybe you've played played Christian for too long. Maybe you've played and looked the part on Sundays, but the rest of the week looks more like you're honoring yourself than Jesus. If you can trust Jesus with eternity, can't you trust him with your family? If you can trust Jesus with your eternity, can't you trust him with your work? If you can trust Jesus with eternity, can't you trust him to help you love the unlovable person in your life? Can't you trust Jesus in all things? Are you trusting him?
Are you relying on his word? Are you depending on his statutes? Are you helping to understand that you lift your eyes to him because he stands above it all? Friends, trust him because Jesus is worth it all. You know, some of you might remember, I'm dating myself again, there was a phenomenon known as the TV show Lost. It seemed like I remember, it's almost been, almost been 20 years ago, I think now, that that show has been as 15 or 20 years, and I just remember that everybody was having lost parties, and they were going to people's houses, and they were talking about what happened, and it's about this phenomenon where people ended up on an island, and all these weird things happened, and Um, And it seems like that every year after that went off the air, they were looking for the next Lost. You know, it's like, ooh, if you love Lost, turn in Friday at 8 or Monday at 7, and you're going to see the next Lost. And it's like every show was billed as the next Lost, and it would fail, and it would fail, and it would, you know, it would be on like five shows, and it would, nobody would watch it again, and, and it failed. And one of those shows I tried to watch It was actually called Flash Forward. It was about a weird phenomenon where the whole world fell asleep for six minutes. And while they were asleep, they saw their future. And some of them saw that they were, you know, they had been murdered. Some people saw that they got sick. Some people, there was all these things that were happening. And so the story's premise was that now that you know the future, can you fix it? And there was something, I had, actually had to rewind it and, and listen to it again because what was said I thought was profound. Uh, something very similar that we think because we know the end of the story. The world has changed. Some of us are making decisions based on what will happen, not just what could happen. It's making us do things that we would not normally do. You would think that knowing the future would make us less concerned about it. But it's just the opposite has happened. The future is not just what we are living for, but what we are living by. Friends, isn't that the hope of a Christian? That we are living by our future. That we are living in obedience and honor and adoration of Jesus. That we will do what Christ has called us to do because we know the end. We know our hope. Yes, the end is coming. Yes, bad things are coming. John was languishing in prison on Patmos because of his testimony of Jesus. But a day would come that no one can resist the rule of Christ. The old order of things has been resisted for so long that they will pass away and God will make everything new. The seals have not yet been broken, but the scroll is in his hand. And so the future is secure. Every one of God's purposes will be accomplished through him. The lamb who is worthy will save you and the end will not be so bad. So put your trust in him. Pursue him with all your heart. Live a life in worship of him and the end will be in proper perspective for you. Let us pray. God, we are thankful for this reminder from your word how we can endure, how there is hope, how we know that in you, it is worth it all. No matter what trials and stresses that we might go, no matter how hard it is to obey you right now, we know that in you and through you, above all things, there is hope. 
And so, Lord, I pray today that if someone does not know you as personal Savior and Lord, not as the Savior of their family, not of the religion of what they were brought up in, but instead the personal Savior to trust in, we pray today that they would be saved. And we pray this morning, Lord, that we would all trust you because we know if you control our future, then our life is worth giving you it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with Him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow Him.